looks like it, yeah. Just, just a little. Uh, we are, we've been talking, we've been going through a series for the last several weeks called Paradoxes, looking at a number of the paradoxes that are in the Bible, that are the way God has set up his kingdom and the way he wants us to live. And a, a paradox is, it's two things that seem like they're contradictory, but they're both true at the same time. And the more you, you read, I feel like, and I was thinking about this before we started this series, but now, like, every day I'm thinking, oh, there's another paradox. Oh, there's another paradox. It's like, they're just, the Bible, God's word, God's kingdom is full of, of these paradoxes. And um, it's a good way for us to, to really go beneath the surface of kind of a trite, simple answer and get more of the depths of God and the, the real life that he's called us into. And today it's going to be a little different. The, the title of this message is called Sons Who Serve. And that sons, if you're not a male here, that's okay. We're really talking about sons and daughters, and I'll explain a little bit more about why, um, why that title. But we're looking at these two things that can seem different from one another. There are, there's a theme in the Bible of, of being a servant, and that God calls us to be his servants. And then there's this other theme of us being God's sons and daughters, or God's heirs. And those are two things that on, on the surface level don't seem like they're the same thing. But it's important that we, if we want to live the life God's called us to, that we live in both of those realities. And this, this week I was, um, one article that I noted on, on Facebook was a friend had posted an article by, this, by a theologian. And basically the title was, Does God Control Everything? And the gist of this article, I was getting into some pretty, you know, heavy theology and stuff, but it was the idea that this, this Bible teacher, who teaches at a seminary, was saying, was like, you know, really if you look at you know, his best understanding, these are deep things that are hard to comprehend. This is, and there's so many paradoxes here of God's sovereignty and people's free will and choice. And again, that's, there are things that they're both true at the same time. But his, he was, he was talking about Basically the question of, hey, does, do we have a choice in the matter? Does God control us, or is he more like a parent who interacts with us to give us the best resources possible, but then as we mature, he's wanting us to make choices on ourselves, and he's not forcing us to do something against our will. And kind of behind that question is, is the idea of, are we slaves, or are we special? And that's really the paradox, what seems like a paradox to us, and this idea of being servants or slaves and sons or daughters, is, okay, are we, are we slaves or are we special? And when we look at the idea of being, being a servant, like, especially as Americans, we don't really connect with that idea, right? How many of you, like, when you were in first grade and the teacher said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many said, I want to be a servant? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, that's, like, very un-American. We're, you know, we've got this whole egalitarian idea where everybody's equal. No one person should have to serve another person. We're all the same. It really doesn't, doesn't jive. We don't have much of an experience in our culture with this. And what makes it even worse and more, or more difficult is our history of slavery in the U.S., where we had slavery. And it was a very evil institution that was based on racism, that was based on the idea that there are two categories of people, and actually one ethnicity was, was defined as being less valuable, even by our constitution originally, as, as being three-fifths of a human being when it comes to, to voting rights. 
And so we had this institution in America where we did have servanthood, we had slavery, but it was to- to- very evil, very uh, based on an ungodly perspective of the inherent dignity and value of human beings. And so the idea of you know, s- servants, or actually in the Bible, the idea of servant and slave or, or bond slave, it's very closely linked, but it's hard for us to get past that without stumbling over it. Anyone besides me feel that way? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tough for us. Now, I just want to start by looking at a definition. The, the New Testament word for, for servant is, is doulos. And I'm just going to read this definition from the, a resource called the Helps Word Studies. It says, the doulos is properly someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. Ironically, doulos, or bond slave, is used with the highest dignity in the New Testament, namely of believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. So, in the scripture, we're, when it talks about us being doulos, us being bondservants of God, this is something that is, an, is kind of like our highest calling. And that's carried over in our culture into things like, we talk about public servants, which is really a very, it comes from our Christian heritage as a culture. The idea that, the idea, the, the role of leaders is to be servants. is not just to promote their own agenda or get rich off the system, but really to come under other people and to serve them. And I want to read a, a passage in the Jesus, a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 17 that really just pulls out this aspect of our calling as followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verse, starting in verse 7. This goes into the, the category of hard sayings Jesus said. Okay, these are, I don't think I've actually, I don't remember ever hearing anyone preach about this. It's, it's not one of the like really like give you the fuzzies sort of story. But here we go. Luke 17, 7. Jesus says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at my table. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Yeah, if you're like me, you're an American, you're like, hey, this, this isn't right. <laughs> He's like mistreating that guy. But no, that's, that's what servants do. Servants, that's, that's their job, is to serve their master. And so when a servant serves, you don't go, oh, wow, that was above and beyond the call of duty. Here, let me, let me give you a break. No, it's just like, well, that's what servants do. In verse 10, he says, so, also, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So Jesus is saying, hey, that's really how it is with with us and God. Like, God is God, and we're on a little different level than him. And it is completely appropriate for us to have the role of a servant with the God of the universe. I want to look at just two implications of servanthood that I think help help bring this home for us. Um, The first implication of servanthood that we're going to talk about is that we have an incredible master. Last night, our family watched the, the movie 
I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, BFG, right? Big Friendly Giant, all right? How many of you have seen that movie? I think it's a kid's movie, so probably, yeah, okay. A few of you. But at one point, so not too many, but it, you don't need to know too much. It's a, it's a fun movie. But at one point in the movie, it involves the Queen of England. And the Queen of England is awakened in the middle of the night by this bad dream. And immediately, immediately, a servant is in her room. And this is the middle of the night. And the servant is dressed. She's not like waking up from her sleep or whatever the correct tense of that word is. But she didn't just wake up. But she's, she's wearing this nice dress and her hair is done. And she's immediately there and like, Your Highness, what is the matter? How can I help you? What's going on? And, and then you see this interaction over the, the rest of the movie with the queen and, and her servants. And you have this sense that they're servants, but they consider it an honor to be in that role. And if you think about that, like, if you were a servant of the Queen of England, you would probably think that that was a pretty high role also. Because it's not about being a servant, it's about who you're a servant to. And when you're a servant to the Queen of England, that's like, you got some status, actually. You got some proximity to power, and your life is making a difference. And these, these seemingly menial tasks all at once matter because of the person who you're serving. And if that's true about the queen, it's ten gazillion times more true about God. And ten gazillion, that's right. Um, he, is, he is worthy of our all. And that's, you know, we, we, we're worshiping, we're talking about that, about exalting God and the importance of, in our own mind, acknowledging who he is more and more. And there's a humility in that. It's like, okay, I'm not the center of the universe. God is. And my, my meaning and my value doesn't come from me being everything, but from seeing who God is. And to be a servant to him actually is, a, is an incredible honor. And getting this makes servanthood really easy when we see who the God is that we're called to serve. Um, you know, so he also calls us to serve other people, which is not quite so easy. But Jesus makes it clear. He says, hey, when you serve the least of these, you're actually serving me. And so it's not just when we're raising our hands in worship, but in anything we do of giving of our life and becoming a servant of anyone or any menial situation, we can do that as an act of worship and service to the God of the universe. So we have an incredible master. That, that's an important part of, of servanthood. And also, an aspect or an implication of servanthood is the realization that our lives are not our own. You know, a servant, the definition was that they have no property rights. They belong to another. You're like, wow, that's, I don't know if I like, I don't like that. But when we look at who we are serving, we serve a God who gave his all for us, who bought our lives with the price of his very own life. The Bible says that our lives are not our own, for we were bought with the price. And, you know, that changes things. When we wake up in the morning and go, okay, this isn't just about what I want, but I'm called to, to live and, and serve God. My life is not my own. It's his. Um, you know, the, the trap, one of the favorite traps of the devil is the temptation or the lie of independence. So when, back, if you go all the way back to the first temptation in the garden, it was, hey, you don't really need God. You can be God by yourself. You can be independent, apart from God. And 
the enemy knows that there is no such thing as independence. Because when Adam and Eve came out from under God's kingship, they actually came under, not to a place of them being independent, but they came under the power of the enemy. Back as when my, my uh, roommate, my freshman year in college, was a huge Bob Dylan fan, played Bob Dylan music like day in and day out. I got so tired of it. But one of the lines that really stuck, Bob Dylan has a line that says this. It says, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And the Bible says that. It says, you are slaves of the one you obey. Either your flesh or God. But you're going to serve somebody. And so, man, God has made us to this high place of honor, to live our life and finding meaning and value, just like those servants in, of, of the Queen of England, that we find value in a place of serving one who's so much greater than us. You know, and this is all throughout the New Testament. Even the, we, one of our phrases that we like to throw around here is every member a minister. The realization that ministry is not for people that preach on Sunday or lead worship exclusively, but it's every single follower of Jesus is called to be a minister. We have a ministry that God has given us. And, but ministry, that word ministry is the same word as service. There is, that's what ministry is. Ministry is giving of our life to serve God and to serve others. And so, that's an important foundation to see that, man, God has called all of us into a place of, place of service. Um, but God not only calls us, but it's, there's an importance in how we serve. And really what I want to get at today is the difference between a, a slavery mentality and a sonship mentality. Because God calls us to serve, but he doesn't call us to serve as slaves with a slavery mentality, but to serve as his own sons and, and daughters. And I want to look with me at this, this next passage, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now I mentioned earlier that the word sons can seem divisive between men and women, but in the, this, this word son, in, which was written in the Greek, and in the ancient cultures, both Greek and Hebrew, was this idea that it's different, there's a differentiation between children and more adult sons and daughters. And this word son is more of the implication of someone who's not just a child, but someone who is an heir. Someone who is can, coming into the full-grown maturity of a son or a daughter. Coming into the purpose that they were made, made for. And so when the Bible uses the word son, it's, it's getting at this idea. It's, yes, you're a child, like, we're, like a little child, but beyond that, you're someone who is called by God to... To, to maturity and to everything that a full-grown son or daughter would, would, would have. It goes on and it expounds on this and says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the old distinctions of male and female, slave and free, 
those all are really done away with in a very real sense, and that our identity is not from those things any longer, but our identity comes through our relationship with Jesus and who he's made us. And it says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There's this idea that if you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, then you have an inheritance. Then you're an heir. And so as we serve, it's not just as a slave, but it's as a son, it's as a daughter, who God has, has so much more for. Um, and skip on down a, a few verses to, to chapter 4, verse, um, where we start, in verse 3. It says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we weren't sons and daughters, but through Christ, he calls us and adopts us into his very family. He goes on and says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba was the Aramaic word, the, the, the vernacular of the people of Israel. It was, the closest we have is daddy. There was the term of, of endearment and, and closeness that a child would say to their father. So he says, God has adopted you. You were separated from him and broken because of sin, but God brought you into his family. He adopted you. And that, this would sometimes happen in, in Roman culture where slaves would become like very close to the master. And again, we have an idea of slavery that that seems like there's this, this big divide, but even in the Old Testament it talks about if you would have a, a Hebrew slave that they, couldn't, they would have to be let free after, in the seventh year. But it says, but if their heart is so towards the master that he doesn't want to be free, but he wants to keep serving you, then there was an arrangement made for that to continue on. They think, wow, that's, that's amazing that you'd be a servant but want to continue being a servant. But sometimes a, a Roman would take their, their servant and they would say, you know, you're really more than a servant to me. You're really a son. And they would adopt that servant into their very family. And they would take on the name of, of the family name. They would become an heir. All the property rights would be theirs. The, the prestige. Everything that their their owner had, was transferred to them when they were adopted into the family. And this is saying that's really what Jesus, that's really what God has done for us through Jesus. Is that he's taken us from, first of all, being alienated from God. And he's adopted us into his very family as, as, his, son, as his sons and as his daughters. So we can say, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's pretty, pretty awesome to think about. That's, God has called us into his family. It's his very, very own sons and daughters. And what are the implications of this? Well, I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of the year talking about this, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, but I just want, but really, there are a couple things that jump out to me. First thing that jumps out is that we have an incredible identity because of sonship, because we're adopted. 
as God's sons and daughters. I remember when I was a kid, I literally thought that my dad was the tallest man in the world. I thought he was the strongest man in the world. I thought he was the smartest man in the world. I thought he was the richest man in the world. I, I, I believed all that. I remember being four or five years old and walking next to my dad. He just seemed like so incredible. And I remember saying something to that effect where it came out that I thought, yeah, Dad, you're the tallest guy in the world, right? And he laughed like, no, I'm not the tallest guy. There are plenty of people that are taller than me. But there was this sense that I had that, wow, my dad is the man, and he's my dad. And there was a sense that because of who he was, that was transferred to me too. Like that my identity was shaped because of who my dad was. And I remember growing up and, you know, I, you know, later you become a teenager or whatever, and you start to see, oh, my dad's got some stuff going on that's not so great. You know, he's, he's, he's got some, some idiosyncrasies. But I remember, like, just thinking about my dad. He had success in sports. He was an all-state football player who had the, the rushing record in, in Topeka that stood for, like, 20 years for career rushing. Um, was an all-state football player, played in college on a scholarship, and got his MBA in a year. Um, was a successful, had his own business. He just had these you know, accomplishments in his life. He did some pretty heroic things. That I still would say today in, in the way that he gave his life towards the gospel and, and missions. But I remember all these things of who my dad was. There was a sense as his son that, yeah, that affects who I am. Like, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, I had never touched a football in my life or, you know, played it down in my life. But I had this sense of like, yeah, I can be an athlete because my dad was an athlete. There was an identity that came from, from who my dad was. And that's one of the most important things that fathers give to their children is a sense of identity. And God has given us an incredible identity through the adoption that we receive. And the, he is the richest one in the universe. He is the most intelligent one in the universe. He is the most powerful. He is everything. He's the God of all, incredible king of kings and ruler of the universe and so good. And then he said, yeah, you're my son. You're my daughter. My DNA, my nature that I have, I've passed that on to you. And you're one of mine. And I call you my son. I call you my daughter. Man, if we would really, if we would live in that, we would never have a, a a depressed day in our life. We would never have a depressed thought in our life. We would never have a discouraged. I mean, it's, if we really understood the identity of who God says that we are, then, man, that would just, like, solve all of our inner problems right there. Now, it's a war. You know, we got, it's, it's a process of renewing our minds and taking on and believing that identity that God has given us because we don't naturally feel it. And, you know, and I'm speaking to us that, that have been adopted as Christians as members of Christ's family. If you haven't yet done that, then God is inviting you to come into his family and have that new identity. But we have an incredible identity because of sonship. We also have an incredible connection with God. You know, I love how it says that he's, he's adopted us and we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's interesting, this whole, this book of Galatians that this is written in, is written to people that had fallen into the trap of legalism. 
They had forgotten that it was through faith in God and His grace that they had a relationship with God. And it was nothing according to how good they were. But they'd fallen into this trap of looking to their pedigree and looking to how well they kept the law. And they, you know, looking back to the, the Old Testament and what God gave to the people of Israel and, and his, his laws, which really, if you understand the Old Testament, it's, it's, you never could become righteous by obeying God's commandments. But it was a covenant relationship with God that he invited a people into. And the law was, hey, if you're in a covenant, loving relationship with God, if he is your God, if it's a, if it's a committed heart relationship with him, then you will live out these laws then this is the way that you honor God and live for Him. But you don't earn something with God through keeping the law. It's the result of a relationship with God. It's the result of being in covenant with God. And so in all of this, you know, looking to, to Israel and the Old Testament, Paul just picks one word from, from Hebrew culture, from Jewish culture. And that's what he, he chooses, and it's Abba. It's, hey, it's not about keeping all the rules. It's, there's a connection with your daddy. There's a connection with your father. I remember being in sixth grade, and my, my best friend, he, he was talking about his parents, and he called his dad, Daddy. And I remember making fun of him. I'm like, man, you're in sixth grade, and you're still calling your dad Daddy. He's not Daddy, he's Dad. Come on. And I felt so bad about that later on. Like, I probably ruined this guy's life. I mean, he actually did have a really traumatic high school year. Years. I mean, it was, I'm like, man, he had this incredible relationship with his parents that was so sincere and so genuine and, and so tender. And that is invaluable. And that's the thing that God has for us. And we tend to be like the knucklehead that I was in sixth grade, at least those of us that are men. Like, oh, I don't really need that. You know, I mean, I got this under control and I'm, I'm, I'm good. But no, we were made for a connection with Abba, with Father. We, that is, you know, that is really, you look at why men look to porn, it's because they don't have that connection with Abba. It is a heart desire for the ultimate connection, and that is what God has made us for. And when he has brought us into his family, that is what he's brought us into. He's brought us into the connection with him, of knowing him, of being known by him, of hearing his voice, of walking with him, of being his friend, saying, hey, you're my son, you're my daughter. you got the connection. We're there. We can, you know, there's, there's a relationship that, that's so important. So we have an incredible identity, we have an incredible connection, and we have an incredible inheritance, too. As, as God's sons, we have, we're heirs, as it talked about in this passage that we read, that if you're adopted, then you're an heir. What, is, what does this mean? It's, you know, most of us probably can't relate to thinking about an inheritance, or a very big inheritance at least. Um, but that's an important concept that, that, is, that is through this in the, in the Bible. I was, a friend of mine was at a McDonald's once, and he ordered his food, and the service was, you know, kind of subpar, kind of what you expect at the front counter sometimes at a fast food place. You know, they, didn't really, they didn't really pay real good attention, and took a while, and I think they messed up his order a little bit, and he had, to, he had to go back and get it corrected. And then he went, and he sat down and started eating his food. And he saw this one McDonald's employee who was just like a man on fire. 
Like he was running around the room, picking up trash and throwing it away, and then he was mopping, and then he went to the windows, and he was like washing the windows and making them shine. He was like, man, what got into that guy? And he asked one of the other employees, like, hey, like, that guy's really working well. Now, this is a, my friend who's a business owner, and he noticed this kid. And the other, the other kid says, well, yeah, of course he is. He's the owner's son. And there was something different about the way that guy was approaching his job from everybody else. Because to him, it wasn't just minimum wage. Like, do your time, you collect a paycheck, and that's it. But it was like, no, this is my business. There was a sense of ownership. There was a sense of uh, appropriate, hopefully, sense of pride. Like, yeah, this is our family's McDonald's, and I want it to do well. And, you know, maybe someday this could be my McDonald's, and I, I, maybe I can branch out. And there was a sense of, like, this is our family business, and I have a stake in this thing, and what I invest in it, there's going to be a return that comes to me out of what I put into it. And that's the sense that God really wants us to live in. Like, I think too often, like, we as Christians, we, we have this, okay, I'm supposed to be a servant, I'm supposed to just do the right thing, but we don't realize that we're heirs. That we have an ownership stake. That the Bible says that we're, we're heirs of the world. That he's called us to, to be part of his process of transforming the world and renewing it. And one day we're going to rule and reign with Christ in, in this world and over this world. There's an incredible inheritance that we have. You know, I, John joked about his mic that was having issues this morning. And, but I was, you know, the, the sound was a little distracting this morning. But I was so enjoying it because we got this, some new sound equipment that is making our setup easier and going to just help what we do go better and, and so, much, so much smoother. Although, you know, there are kinks to be worked out at the beginning. But what's so exciting is that, to me, is like I had nothing to do with that. But it was a few other guys who said, hey, what about this? Why don't we, like, do this with our sound system? We could go wireless and get rid of that stupid snake that weighs 800 pounds, and we have to move in and out of here every week. And it'd be cleaner up here without all the wires. And, man, this and that. And some people, like, voluntarily, like, gave financially to make that happen. And people gave of their time to bring that about. And I see people, I see people serving in our church in so many ways. I saw Eddie, like, I'm on my computer yesterday, and I see our, like, Dropbox financial f- files, like, th- documents getting saved every five minutes. And I'm going, like, man, here's Eddie volunteering of his time, like, working hard at the beginning of the year, doing all this stuff. And people are, I love seeing people, like, having a sense of ownership in God's family. And that's true in the church, but it's true everywhere. It's true in our jobs. It's true in our families. It's true in our friendships. That God has called us to, to have that sense of being heirs. Of, man, this isn't just about putting in the time and doing what I, you know, the bare minimum or something, but it's like, no, this is God's endeavor. This is something that he has something to say about. And, man, there's a sense of initiative and ownership that he wants us to have as we live that out. Um, just a minute, I'm going to let you talk this over. Um, actually, that minute is here. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk that over. Um, there are three questions that are in your bulletin. They're just on the screen here. Uh, just for us to, to bring this home in our own.